Huh. Who was that? <laughs> uh, Josh Pate, 24-7 sports. So there's yeah. at least one person that uh, thinks the schedule is a little bit more difficult than we think it is. I've heard a lot of people saying that. And maybe I'm underselling it. Maybe I am. Um, you know, maybe come November and we're a 500 football team, I'll be looking back and saying, boy, I really underestimated West Virginia or Kansas or BYU. I, I think these are good teams. I think Iowa State, even though last year's record was terrible for them, four and eight, they were one and eight in conference. They they had the best defense in the Big Twelve by far, the best defense in the Big Twelve. I I I I'm fully aware that that's not going to be just a a lay down and let Oklahoma score 50 points on them. Easy Saturday. You skate to victory. I know it's not going to be. I know it's going to be a tough game. We beat them 27-13 last year. I Two touchdowns. It's the it's most anyone that. beat them by the entire season. Yeah. No one else beat them by more than seven except until TCU laid them, you know, hammered them the last, last game of the season whenever, the, you know, it was clear they'd had enough. But yeah, I, I I understand that there's a bunch of good football teams, solid football teams, but we need to be past the point of worrying about playing, with all due respect, Kansas, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, BYU, and TCU to close out the season with three of those being on the road. Well, any time we say that, we inevitably get about three or four texts that say, well, I mean, come on, that you guys said that last year. Who cares? We did say that last year about the schedule. Well, but here's the thing. Are we still right about last year's schedule? Yes, TCU ended up being a lot better than anyone thought. They played for a national championship. But was there anyone else on the schedule last year that really blew you away as a football team? The non-con was not very good. Um, Texas was an 8-4 and four team. OSU wasn't good when you played them. West Virginia still wasn't a good team. I mean, Tech was better, but, I mean, you know, it's not like it was some banner Tech team. I don't know. Like, o- OU was 6-7, and seven, but was it because the schedule was just awesome a year ago? I, I don't know if it necessarily was. Kansas well, State was pretty good. Maybe you just played two good teams It really year. doesn't matter. Like, last year, whether you thought the schedule was tough or you thought it was easy – or you thought we were going to be good, or you thought we were going to be bad. Like, it doesn't really matter. If you thought the schedule last year was going to be easy, you weren't wrong, right? Like there, we should have beaten like – there wasn't – like, Baylor beat us at home. Baylor was not a good football team last year. Yeah. West Virginia beat us at home, or uh, beat us in Morgantown. West Virginia was not a good football team last year. Tech beat us in Lubbock. I they were a pretty good football team, but I you still should have won that football game. Now I'm not trying to to go back in time and try and make myself sound like I was correct in what I predicted Oklahoma was going to do. 
I'm not. I just don't care. I. We were a bad team last year. No one is going to argue that point. We ended ended up six and seven. We were undisciplined. We we let way too many opportunities just slip right between our fingers. Offense, defense, special teams. We couldn't hit field goals. We couldn't tackle. We couldn't get lined up at times. We couldn't catch wide open touchdowns. We, we couldn't go. stop shooting ourselves in the foot with penalties and all kinds of things. We were not a good football team last year. I, and we still were <laughs> I, a field goal against Baylor, a field goal against West Virginia, and a field goal against Tech away from like hiding how bad we were and put, actually putting together a somewhat decent season. Right? That's how bad the schedule was a year ago. And if you want to fast forward to this year, it's the same thing except for right, a lot of the teams that were, were, were good teams last year. Kansas State beat us, don't play them. Baylor beat us, don't play them. Tech, right, yes. don't yes. play them. So, okay, uh, text line. Uh, the schedule didn't matter. We just beat ourselves last year. Yeah. Um, is this the most uncertainty the Big 12 has had in quite some time since the texture in the 405? As of right now, I, I, could, I could make that case, sure. Yes. Yeah, there, there's, there's a ton with it. Because of – simply because of us. Yeah. Because yeah, of the uncertainty surrounding Oklahoma. Because – the certain thing for what was it six years straight? It was that Oklahoma was going to win the the conference. You know, it was like it was the most certain thing there was. And now, um, because of a coaching change, because of a, a extremely shaky first year, I we're uncertain because the thing that's always been, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't so confident that it's just going to be right back where where it kind of has always been. Nine one eight. Why does everyone mention the short rest with the TCU game? Isn't it six day rest for TCU as well? Uh, yes, it is a six day turnaround for TCU. They played Baylor yeah. at home the week before, but that is a very good point. Yes, it is. Yeah, same. I don't understand it. It, it's it's not that big of a deal. It's now, as we look at it right now, it's not that big of a deal. But it could be a big deal if you go out to BYU and you get a bunch of guys banged up, right? And now you're playing on a day less rest and you're going to have some guys with some bumps and bruises that are going to be playing that are banged up. That could be an issue. But that could be, like, we don't know who that's going to be a bigger factor for. Like, uh, Chandler Morris may roll an ankle in their game at home against Baylor, and we may be saying, hey, it's a good thing we're playing this game on six days rest instead of seven. Right? We just don't know that right now. So I just have to factor it up as a total non-issue. We're flying back from Utah, not from Italy. Right? It's like a two-hour flight, two and a half hours. Not that big of a deal. Yeah, and maybe you play your game early in the day and they play uh, ABC night game. Yeah. Maybe, you know. So, I mean, it, as you would say, it could equal out to a warsh between the two teams. Yeah. But I'm with you. It's not as big of a deal as Josh Pate is, or some others are making it out to be.
initially I thought, okay, that's a little interesting that the Big 12 is going to – yeah, I, 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 don't think well, it's they, that, I don't think that that's big of a deal. Everyone else is also – and maybe they're right about this. I just don't see it this way, and I could be wrong. been wrong about a lot of things. Um, but, like, Pate is factoring in that we're playing the playoff TCU team. It's not going to be the playoff TCU team. Now, maybe they catch fire again, and Chandler Morris plays out of his mind. I think he's a really good player. I mean, he, he may have an a unbelievable year, but they're, just, they're not going to have the same type of firepower they had a year ago. And even with the firepower they had a year ago, I, they were not an indestructible football team down the stretch. Like They, you know, they got through the finish line, but... Right. They they had to they had to hang on to their butts for a bunch of weeks throughout that season. I am uh, waiting. I'm trying to find text line. Help me out with this because I can't find it on my ESPN app. The spread for tomorrow's basketball game. Yeah. OU at West Virginia, seven p.m. But if the <laughs> ESPN basketball power index is any indication, OU is going to be a pretty big dog. Uh, BPI has West Virginia. 84% chance, 84.3% chance to win this basketball game tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't – I mean, I probably like everyone else, I don't, I don't feel great about this one tomorrow. West Virginia is they're, – they're, they're, they're playing a lot better here recently. Um, they lost at TCU on Tuesday night, but they lost by four. They beat Auburn, top 15 team, last Saturday. Uh, they won at Texas Tech by 15 a couple of weeks ago. So it's not like they're a juggernaut all of a sudden, but they're starting to play a lot, a lot better basketball. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't know what the spread's going to be, but you know, I haven't seen much West Virginia. Have you watched West Virginia play much this year? I watched them uh, in the first half during the pregame show while they were playing Auburn last week. I've probably I've saw saw play OU obviously earlier this year. OU. Um, had to hold on to their butts to win that one a few yeah. weeks ago. So really, only a few times, and I just I've only caught them like one time since they've started to play better basketball. Well, as as we know, we talked about some of this yesterday. I right. there's some teams stylistically that create a, a much more difficult game for Oklahoma, and that's teams that are like kind of hang their hat on defense. And is that is that West Virginia style? I mean, actually, um, points per game, West Virginia 69.5 and nice. OU 65.1. So, you, like, you would think of a classic Bob Huggins team as one that, yeah, like, they like to press and, you know, they're going to be, be, you know, be one of the better defensive teams in the league. And maybe that's the case, but by the numbers, OU is a better defensive team than West Virginia. Yeah. Well, maybe that – West Virginia also scores more points per game, though, like eight more a game. Yeah. Maybe that um, – maybe this will – now, I, I don't think they have – what they have um, – like, they're not going to have the length and athleticism like we saw from from Oklahoma State and their front I don't court, think they have a CSA. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that they have a CSA down low. And let's really hope that that's not the case. Like, they, they got a 6'10 guy, Jimmy Bell, uh, down low, 6'10", 285. He's averaging like six rebounds per game, so nothing just like crazy there. Like yeah. West Virginia, like if you just look at West Virginia's numbers, 
and they're a 13-9 basketball team. I think they got the same conference record as OU 2-7. Like, there's nothing statistically that you're going to look at from West Virginia and say, oh, boy. But if you've kind of paid attention to them recently, you know that there's a pretty good chance that you're going to get one of their best efforts tomorrow. Like, night game, Saturday night, 8 p.m. local time. I can't imagine what that crowd's going to be like tomorrow in Morgantown. Jeez. You got to you, you got to feel like you're going to go in and, and get one of their better efforts. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm curious to see how we bounce back. Uh, we've had some we've had some rough performances, and you know they've they've bounced back okay in some of those. Obviously, bounced back after that TCU game and played really good against Alabama. The Oklahoma State game was was just it did not go well for them. Curious to see kind of what the team morale is looking like right now as they go on the road. Sometimes, you know, going on the road can can kind of heal some of that little team building out there, you against the world. But, you know, in this conference, the problem is going on the road typically means you're bringing home an L. Uh, yeah. That's just how it's always been in this conference. So they're going to have to put something special together. OU first four outs. I think they're the third team out right now behind Florida and A&M. Uh, Oklahoma State currently the last team in for bracketology. Mm. So, with that being said, what do you put this game on the must-win scale, on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, 10. 10? Must-win? 9? I don't know. It, I put the OSU game at a 10 on Wednesday night. That didn't work out. Um, Oklahoma – uh, excuse me, West Virginia – at least statistically, has the worst defense in the conference. So, typically, that would uh, that would work for a decent matchup for us stylistically. Let's hope that that uh, that kind of plays itself out. Like uh, Oklahoma State is the second best. Iowa State's yeah. number one. So West Virginia is the other end of the spectrum. Here's here's a good stat from uh, Doug Miles. OU has West Virginia's number. It has swept the Mountaineers three years in a row. Really? Well, yeah, let's hope that that uh, plays out again tomorrow. Oh, three boy, years in a row, you swept those guys. Uh, this says West Virginia has a transfer, Stevenson. He got 31 his last game. He is a force down low. Peyton says, if you look at projected points at the bottom of the matchup, that usually is close to the line. Yes. Um, let me get to a couple more here. OU plus nine, last three minutes of the game, says Willie Mays Hayes. And, yeah, we've we got some other score predictions here that have OU winning. This one says, time to transition to softball Fridays and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, etc." cetera. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking for softball coverage – I just released a few hours ago a new episode of Diamond Envy Ooh. where, Teddy, I gave, I must say, I gave a pretty compelling case as to why Patty Gasso won't be thought of as the GOAT in college softball for greatest head coaches of all time. I gave a compelling case as to right now, while she's still coaching, why she should be considered the greatest college softball coach of all time. You might disagree with it, but I, you know, I threw in some compelling cases there. Now, what your first case is was why she won't be, and the second case no, no, is no, why no, she no, will no, be. No, 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 no. I gave a case that she is right now. Like okay. she does, she doesn't have to wait until she retires to be thought of as that. 
I gave some cases as to I think right now she is. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, which yeah. by the way, Diamond Diamond Envy um, Apple Podcast. I think it's on it's on, it is on Spotify as well. Go search it there. So like the Cliff Notes version is okay. So she doesn't have as many national titles as say Mike Candrea at Arizona or the head coach at UCLA throughout the late 70s, 80s, and early 90s. But what she does have is a higher winning percentage than both of those teams. She's got like an 805 winning percentage, okay? She's got a higher winning percentage than any coach in college softball history that's in the top 15 and wins, and a higher winning percentage than any coach ever that has um, more than 1,000 wins, okay? So I throw that in there. I also say that... Well, you know, no disrespect to Mike Candre at Arizona or what UCLA was doing in the 80s or 90s, but I think the, the sport top to bottom is a lot more competitive than it was then. And it's more competitive now than it's ever been. So in the most competitive era of college softball, where the SEC is now a giant, the Big Ten is actually pretty good and the Pac-12 is still very relevant, she has the best program in the sport and is still ripping off national title after national title. Like, that's just kind of the Cliff Notes version. I go into it a lot deeper on the episode, but I I don't know. I I talk myself into, like, I, I think I'm right. I think she's the greatest head coach ever right now. What are the – do you know the title numbers for Arizona UCLA coaches? Uh, national title? Yeah, I think Candrea has eight, and the other was nine, I think it was. Patty has, what, six, I think, currently? So she's not far behind. Right, yeah. Well, um, she's got my vote. Now, that may not mean much, <laughs> which I understand, but – She's got my. Vote. I just think when you like when you like the when you evaluate the winning percentage, in, in like my I guess my main point is like this is the toughest era the sport has ever seen, and right. I think that you have to give her credit for that. That she built a power in the Midwest when I'm sure there was a time when nobody thought that that was possible because it was dominated by the West Coast. She's dominated the sport. An emphasis on dominated. When I mean, it, softball is at its highest ever for popularity. Like, I think you really have to fact, have to factor that in. I heavily factor that in, and it's probably the biggest reason as to why I think she's the greatest ever. Right. Well, and I don't know what the situations were at UCLA and Arizona, but they also were like playing and practicing at like the city softball fields, right? Yeah. Like just, you know, and and to go from that to where it is now and they're about to have a huge new stadium, beautiful new stadium built. So, um, yeah. She's the uh, goat yeah, in my Sharon book. Backus, Sharon Backus, nine national titles at UCLA. And what does Candrea have? Candrea's got eight titles. So, Patty right. is not – I think she's going to probably pass both of those for national titles, too. And once she does that, then there's probably no argument against her being right. the, the greatest head coach of all time. That's right. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two rolls on next. Stay with us. The Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers bringing you this hour of the rush. Live at Mitchell's Jewelry today for the Super Bowl sale where this, this deal is incredible. I was just talking with Gina Mitchell here at Mitchell's Jewelry about it. Five cans of soup. You just come in and donate five cans of soup. You're going to get 50% off of one item here at Mitchell's. It's almost Valentine's Day. Like, it's just, it's it's awesome. It's, it's a great deal. It's awesome. And look, I have, uh, in the past 12 months, 
bought a couple items here from Mitchell's, and I thought that I got treated great, you know, even when there wasn't a sale. But 50% off, like, that, that's, that's a heck of a deal. And it's awesome that Mitchell's is uh, supporting Meals on Wheels with all of their uh, donations that they're getting. As people are piling in, dropping off cans of soup, and uh, getting 50% off of an uh, item here at Mitchell's. It's, it's really, really cool. Uh, Teddy, it's time for our under-the-radar player, brought to you by Board Street Ventures. Board Street Ventures is a venture capital firm that provides funding and guidance for promising under-the-radar Sooner startups. Learn how you can help support OU Innovation at BoydStreetVentures.com. Is everyone on the roster tomorrow an under-the-radar player after what happened against Oklahoma State on Wednesday night? Can we yeah. approach things that, uh, that way? Yeah, I think so. Um, man, I, I – I hope Grant Sherfield's an under-the-radar player if that's the case. Well, I expect Sherfield to bounce back and, and, and be – you know, I, does he hit his averages? I don't know, but be closer to what we've seen from him this season. I, the under-the-radar to me is – it's got to be Jalen Hill. He's got to have a big bounce back game. Um, you know, really struggled. Couldn't couldn't really get comfortable in the game against uh, against Oklahoma State. He was 0 of six from the floor. Uh, missed his only three point attempt. He did knock down some some free throws, but after you know, his best game of the year against Al- or right. best game of his career against Alabama. Yeah. After that game against Alabama, you know, he just. He's got to bounce back, get comfortable. For him, I say continue to get to the foul line. You know, he's he leads the entire Big 12 in free throw shooting percentage. So, uh, No, I did not know uh, that. He Good needs stat. to continue to, uh, to try and get to the line, and I know that can be difficult at times. But, yeah, he's he's got to play well. Um, if you can get him and Sherfield to bounce back and have closer games to, to what we're used to from those guys – that's going to be what you need to get the win, I think. Is this a game where we know in the first five minutes what we got? Yes. They're hitting shots from the outside, and it's like, all right, we got something. Or they've got some bad misses like Wednesday, and it's like, uh-oh, this might be a long night. Mm-hmm. kind of feel like that might be the case tomorrow. That's kind of how I feel, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, whenever you've had a couple of games here that have gone the way that they have, I don't know what the morale is like into if you if you play poorly, let's say in the first, you know, ten minutes of the game, what what's going to be the the uh, how do they how do they reach down and bounce back after kind of what's what's gone? And I know this is a tough team, and I know that they're going to give their best no matter what, you know, just like we would expect from anyone. But you got to imagine that a hot start is really what they need. Uh, that's what they had against Alabama, and they were able to hold that, maintain that that confidence throughout. They started poorly against Oklahoma State and just could never get comfortable. Now, you know, a lot of that has to do with Oklahoma State and how good that defense is, and how much you know the length and athleticism. You're not going to get as much of that from West Virginia, so maybe you know, considering West Virginia's last right now defensively in the Big Twelve, that maybe that you don't necessarily need to count them out whenever they get down that maybe they will be able to go on some nice extended runs Zach Erickson says Jacob Groves have fall, has fallen off the map yeah he didn't score yeah. at all in Bedlam he only played 13 minutes I don't feel like he played a lot in the Alabama game either I'm wondering if they make a change in the starting lineup tomorrow um, be interesting who that would be but 
Yeah, Jacob Groves, the last two games, they, they haven't played him a ton of minutes at all. Well, the last four games, he he played 17 minutes back against Baylor, 12 against TCU, 11 against Bama, 13 against Oklahoma State. But, you know, in all four of those games combined, five points. Yikes. So. Yeah, that's not good. No. Nope. Uh, this text from the 405, you will know how the game is going by the first possession. If there's a turnover, turn the TV off. <laughs> we uh, that first possession not. against Oklahoma State first couple were I uh, they were they were bad not not just like you didn't get a shot to fall I don't even know if they got a shot off the first couple of possession against Oklahoma State they were it was ugly yeah Disjointed. I mean they didn't hit their first um, shot from the field until like five or six minutes in yeah like their first points were free throws like four and a half minutes in I feel like it, it, it took them a while to hit a shot yeah Nothing was easy Wednesday night. No. But, hey, maybe maybe it's a trend, all right? You played really bad at TCU on the road, come back with a great performance against Alabama, come back with another really bad performance, and maybe you come back with a great performance against West Virginia. I wonder if you can tr- continue with that trend the rest of the year, if that will get you in as a bubble team. Yeah. It'll be close. Yeah. Well, they're going to they're gonna have to catch something here and – and get hot or hotter for an extended time because I, and you know, here's the thing. I'm no basketball expert, but agree. If you can't create easy buckets by getting, getting to the rim and either being able to finish with some easy lobs or layups or, you know, being able to put the pressure on a team and get to the foul line by driving to the bucket if you're just settling for jumpers nonstop, I, you're going to be hot and you're going to look fantastic. And whenever you're not hot, you're going to look really, really bad. And that's kind of the, the seesaw that we've been on at times this year. Yeah, um, like I think there's some good shooters on this team. But if you don't have like three like great shooters, then you're just asking for a lot of trouble, though, with that. Like I agree with you, like the overall thought, but – for it to go really well, like you got to have three shooters consistently who are on. Yeah. And I don't know if OU has that right now, unfortunately. But an 8 p.m. crowd in Morgantown is going to be wild. At your favorite um, stadium arena name, WVU Coliseum. The laziest Creative. effort of all time. The laziest effort of all time. Create. They can't think of anyone to name it after. Nothing. WVU Stadium. Or just say West Virginia or Mountaineer. WVU. That's the laziest thing they could have named it. They should just name it after Kegler's, you know, over there downtown. Sports bar. Just name it Kegler's Arena or whatever. Name it after Jerry West. How about that? Okay. Jerry West Coliseum. That's pretty easy, right? You're trying to Pitsnoggle. Kevin Pitsnoggle Arena. Name it after, uh, what's his name, Klein Schmidt? (laughs) Yeah. The fullback? (laughs) Just name it after him. No, you're talking about – are you talking about Owen Schmidt? Owen Schmidt, yeah. Yeah. Not Klein Schmidt, sorry. Yeah, it's close, Owen, Owen Schmidt. Name it after him. Or uh, Geno Smith, Tavon Austin. They'll probably just name it after every, We're about to go down every single West Virginia <laughs> player that's ever played. <laughs> They've got to just be waiting going. on Huggins to retire, right, to name it after him? Probably. That's, gotta be, that's, that's, that's what I'm here for. Not well, you Bob don't need Huggins to wait. Arena. Just go ahead and Huggy do it. Huggy Bear Arena. Yeah, Huggy Bear. 
All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll hit some things that caught my eye next. Stay tuned. West Yalagosny is bringing you what caught Teddy's eye. If, you, if you've been hurt in a wreck and you don't know who to trust, take a look at the client reviews at WYG. If you want a lawyer that clients trust, then trust WYG. West Yala Gosney Law, 405-800-8080. That's 405-800-8080. Let's get to it. Story number one is. Uh, I, this is an interesting story, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. I need to get your take. So okay. Duke's basketball coach, Kara Lawson, says that So they lost to Florida State on Sunday. And she says in that game, during the first half, the players were complaining about the ball. And at halftime, they checked the ball at the scorer's table and they played the first half with a men's ball instead of a women's ball. And then, you know, the second half, I guess Florida State, um, like they weren't – Duke didn't shoot very good. They were 7 for 34. Florida State was better – uh, 12 for 38, and I guess like Florida State saying that it didn't happen and there's no evidence of it, and I guess that's what the officials are saying too, but she's adamant that they used a, a men's ball for the first half, and I guess this has happened before where a in 2017 a, a College of Charleston played home games and practiced with men's balls for uh, most of the season until I, people figured it out. And I guess it was an advantage for him. But I don't know. Like, What do you think about this? Is, is that cheating? They're both playing with the same one. It's Yeah, it's definitely cheating. My, my problem is how did it take them a half to realize that? And I know that Florida State and the officials might be denying it. The story I just read is the scores table saw the mistake at halftime. It was like, oh, yeah, and they, and they changed the basketball. I don't know how you don't immediately notice in like the first few possessions. You would. Not even the first few possessions, the first time you touch it. Yeah. The difference between a women's basketball and a men's basketball is massive, man. I think the women's basketball is like 28.5. I think that's ounces, is what that is. I think the men's ball is like two ounces more. I, I just don't understand how you can go an entire half without knowing that that's what's going on. Especially if. You know, maybe it's different if you're – well, I don't know what world some people are playing with the men's ball half the time and a women's ball. But if you're playing with just a women's ball all the time, how you don't notice that? That's it's wild to me. Well, and how many players have to complain about the basketball before someone from the staff walks over to the officials and says something, hey, can we check this basketball? I don't know. I just – I thought the whole situation was weird, how that could slide by yeah. and – because I'm like you, I feel like I can tell the distance, the difference instantly, as soon as I, you know, take a shot or or whatever, pick it up. So I don't know. I thought that was weird. Um, now we saw this yesterday, late in the show. Joe Mixon was hit with a, a warrant for aggravated menacing. Tyler, those uh, charges have been dropped. Uh, no longer pursuing those charges with Joe Mixon. What his, uh, I guess his attorney was pretty upset that they just kind of announced that a warrant was out for his rest. And I get it, man, because that is, um, it's, it's brought up a whole, it's it's very damaging. uh, The, 
the old story and video is making the rounds all over again and, you know, brought that whole situation back. So, um, yeah, I don't know that, but I, I don't know how that happens. Like number one, if you've got a gun and you point it in someone's face and say, someone should shoot you or I'm going to shoot you. Right. How do the charges get dropped on that to where someone just kind of says, Oh yeah, never mind, didn't happen? Or like how does someone is that something that somebody would make up and actually call the I don't know. I mean, that got dropped it? pretty quick though. I mean, in less than twenty four hours it got dropped, you right. know? Like it wasn't a it didn't sound like it was that deep of an investigation to get it dropped. I mean sure it was investigated, but the fact that that was dropped so quickly, um, I, I, it's just it's 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 a bad deal for him. Um, it's a bad look, and maybe he shouldn't have been issued a warrant in the first place. And I think that that's the the attorney's you know entire point is like you've damaged him regardless of what happens moving forward. Right. Um, last thing I've got is we've got to mention the the balloon. Right. Got to mention it. Um, I, I don't know what to make of it, and. I guess, is is it true? I've seen it reported a couple different places that there's a second balloon that's oh, over no. Canada right now and Great. making its way towards the United States. So so what is the idea? They just have a, a balloon flying in the air and they're spying on everyone? That's what they've said. But I thought they were using TikTok for that. Why do they need a balloon now? Well, I don't know. It could be any number of things. I, I just find it fascinating that... They're pretty adamant that they know it's not a weather balloon. It's a, it's a, it's got spying capabilities. If that's the case, I just don't understand why they would follow it as long as they claim to have followed it. And I haven't done anything. I, I don't know. It seems strange. It, it, the whole situation just doesn't add up. Well, maybe they'll end up uh, like uh, Joe Dirt when he hopped in the hot air balloon. And a ah. stiff wind happened, and he got blown halfway across the country. It felt like. Yeah, you think there's, uh, you think there's a Joe Dirt riding around up there, and that's why they don't I shoot it so. down. I think it's just Joe it. Dirt. We think it's the Chinese, but it's really just Joe Dirt up there. Well, you could you could see the mullet from a telescope if it was <laughs> Joe Dirt. Fair point. That's all I got. Uh, all right, my first one. Oh, Jim, CBS isn't happy with Tony Romo. Met with analysts to address decline in quality. Yikes. Mm-hmm. CBS attempted an intervention with Tony Romo in advance of the 2022 season, but things did not get better. Romo signed a 10-year, $180 million contract with CBS in 2020, um, but has suffered a decline since. CBS has noticed. Twitter has noticed. And CBS has tried to have an intervention with him, but it didn't get any better this year. Now it's really interesting. Well, guess how much I feel bad for CBS. Zero. Oh, zero. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, 10 year, $180 million. That was your deal that you threw out. It is a total waste of money to throw $180 million at Tony Romo and to lock him up for 10 years. Nobody watches a game because of Tony Romo. You may flip over to the game and say, oh, Romo's on the call. I like when he calls. Big play here, Jim. Need to get a first down here. It's fourth. Yeah. Rarely, if ever, do people watch a game only because of who's calling it. Now, you can can get 
sick of whoever it is and maybe not watch a game because of someone, but I, a, a, a color guy does not drive ratings. The football game drives ratings. It's a total waste of money. They're idiots for paying out that much money. It has no effect on the ratings. They're about to pay a lot for Tom Brady, so get ready for that one, too. Yeah, well. Cost of a 30-second Super Bowl ad. In 1967, a 30-second Super Bowl ad was $42,000. Um, by the year 2000, a 30-second Super Bowl ad was up to $2 million. Okay. Uh, 2015, it was up to $425 million. A Super Bowl ad, 30 seconds in 2023, will cost $7 million. Mm. 2023, you said $425 million. I think you meant $4.25 million, right? Oh, yeah, sorry, 2015, yeah, $4.25 million. my bad. $7 million bucks in, in 2022. And I got to tell you, man, I this is another, in my opinion, waste of money. It was a thing for a long time that they would put together these good commercials, and it was like a, it was like a, you know, a, that's what people did, right? If you weren't a big football fan, well, you watched the Super Bowl, and you'd watch the commercials, and there'd be a big conversation about the commercials. I haven't watched a Super Bowl commercial like made it a point to watch them. Like I may happen to catch one. I never one. got into that either. Yeah. I, Years, maybe since I was like in in hike school, I would watch the uh, the commercials. Don't do it anymore. Now, on a related note, Super Bowl. Do you see what State of Tennessee's doing? No. What are they doing? They've got a in the legislature right now. They've got a bill trying to make the Monday after Super Bowl a state holiday. Oh God, that would be sweet. Huh? Come on to Tennessee. Come on. I've never. I have never rooted this hard for Tennessee. Pretty cool. Anything in the state of Tennessee that'd be that would that would be awesome. Uh, yeah, that's no no uh, no Jeff Levy to Alabama. By the way, Tommy Reese going to be the next OC at Bama. What do you think? Like it, love it, hate it? Oh, I think it'll be fine. I just like I think Billy O'Brien was fine. You know, whenever you've got the best players in college football, I think most any competent offensive coordinator would do a really good job. So there you go. All right. Quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We will wrap up our number two next. It is the rush on the ref Super Bowl sale here at Mitchell's Jewelry, 2201 West Main Street in Norman. That goes through today, tomorrow, and Sunday when they'll be open 12 to 4 on Sunday. Super Bowl sale, pretty simple. Bring in five cans of soup or $10 and get one item 50% off. Uh, they are supporting Meals on Wheels here in Norman, which is really, really cool. Super Bowl sale. Come support Mitchell's 2201 West Main Street. You want to talk about turning over a roster? Listen to this, man. The NCAA removed the signing limit cap this year and next year, and it's led to some huge recruiting classes. So here's the most recruiting additions, including transfers in college football this cycle. Arizona State has 46 new additions. Jeez. Colorado has 43 new additions. That's two first-year head coaches. Nebraska has 40 new additions. Oregon has 39 new additions. And then there's Oklahoma, 38 new additions. Do we realize how different this team is going to look next year personnel-wise? 
Yeah, it's a lot. A lot of new faces. You had a big recruiting class with 26 players and 12 portal guys, right? Is that the numbers, that how they break down? Uh, I don't remember the exact number of portal guys. I think that sounds right, though. Yeah. But in uh, in recruiting, they had 26, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's – That's not even counting the uh, preferred walk-on guys they have coming in. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a lot. So, yeah, I mean, you – they're turning the roster over in a big way. Um, man, that's that's big numbers. And, you know, the I, I still think the good thing about it is whenever you look at the transfer portal, it's – I think, you know, whenever you look at Arizona State, I think they had like 20-plus guys. They had a ton of portal guys. Same thing with Colorado. Um, and that can be fine, but I think Oklahoma got – good quality over quantity you know there's some i would agree with that some really good players in there um you know rouse you you would pencil him as a starter you know obviously you never know what's going to happen with some of these guys um i think pearson in the in the secondary you'd pencil in as a starter at least a heavy rotational guy uh Desan mccola you would uh pencil in as a starter i mean you've got four or five guys that you think are probably going to be starters, which is, you know, that's that's pretty big, big well, to bring and, that in. And here's a good point on the text line, and that's before the next portal period too. I don't expect OU to add eight guys after spring ball, but it's not crazy to think that they'll add someone else after spring ball's over. I fully expect them to add a couple of guys at least. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. we got the final hour next.